An image came into my mind just during this meditation, especially thinking about um, scripture in general and the different layers from which we can receive. Because we talked about Paramahansa Yogananda's interpretations, his explanations being really the spiritual essence of the Gita. And this idea or this image of a, a lemon, a lime, a nimbu came into my mind. And, you know, scripture, if just looking at it physically, just by itself, this is it, it's a lime. There's only so much you can do. Some people, maybe they can, you know, make something out of the skin. It can be used in some few little ways. It could even be used as a paperweight, worst case scenario. But in itself, you know, it can give us only so much. If I want more from it, then I have to go deeper into it. I have to cut through it. And then inside, I find the juice. And that is what most people are looking for. They're, they want the juice. What can I receive? What can I consume from this? However, there's other things inside, and that's the seeds. And a yogi, he looks for the seeds, because the seed then can be planted, and more lemons can be found in the process. And those seeds are what we are looking for, even in the Gita, in all scripture, in all of life, that if we can plant that seed and let it grow, rather than just having consumed the juice, you know, enjoyed that moment, and then what? We need something that continues to grow and cultivate a greater reality within ourselves. So let's look at the Gita now from that perspective, see what seeds jump out at us today. We left our um, study together on chapter 2, verse 31 and 32. And in this, Krishna was starting to tell Arjuna more on a personal level why this battle is important for him. He went through many different levels, on a larger cosmic level of the soul, on just another level of the understanding of Dharma, and now he's brought it down to a more personal reality. And let me just say this verse again in which he says, even when viewed personally from a standpoint of one's own dharmic duty, there is no occasion for grief or hesitation. Nothing is more proprietous than for a kshatriya whose duty is to fight for righteousness, to battle for what is right and true. Blessed and fortunate are you if you must even give your life for such a cause. Such a death will open to you the gates of heaven. So we talked last class about the different four layers of the caste being as certain stages of consciousness within us, starting at the Shudra, ending at the Brahman, starting at matter, uh, kind of hypnotized, matter-driven, fixed in our realities, looking only for what I can get right here, right now, put out the least amount of energy, all the way to knowing that God is the only reality. So we've got these two uh, ends of the spectrum and each of us vacillate between these two ends and throughout the day, in fact, throughout even a few minutes, we can experience at least three of these four states. Not all of us easily get to the Brahmin state as we would like, but here the important stage for us to remember is that of the Kshatriya. And this is where Arjuna is, and this is where each of us are in our spiritual journey. A Kshatriya is truth-seeking 
he's not yet found it. The Brahman is truth experiencing and truth sharing. So Arjuna is at that stage and for a Kshatriya it's very important to fight. That state of consciousness is the active part where battle must be done. And this is another interesting part which perhaps we missed last class uh, as we lost the internet where uh, Krishna says, Blessed and fortunate are you even if you have to give your life for such a cause because such a death will open the gates of heaven. Now here he's also talking about in our own spiritual journeys, if we are able to stay with that battle even till the very end of our lives, that alone will guarantee to a huge amount the high states of, um, you can say, of a high level of astral uh, experience that we will receive after death. Because it's really hard for most people to continue with the battle. They might be spiritual in the sense that they believe in God. They still, you know, know that the truth of life is that we're all one and God's all that exists. But they've given up the battle. They're not active anymore. They're not enthusiastic about, about the fact that, okay, I have to do this. I have to do this. This is where I'm going. And they just, we start settling down, we get stagnant, we say, okay, I know God is there, maybe I'll meditate now, maybe I won't. And somewhere along the line, we move from Kshatriya down, hopefully only to the Vaishya, but often to the Shudra level, where now only if there's fear, if something bad happens to us, then we're like, God, you know, help me, because it's out of fear that we reach out to Him, no longer out of love for Him that we reach out to Him. So those of us who stay true, even to the battle, even if we've not ended up being victorious in this life, but stayed with the battle till the end of this life, we too will attain a very, very high astral experience at the end. Then he goes on to say, but if you refuse this opportunity for righteous combat, in rejection of your duty, you will incur sin. Now, sin here has to be understood in the right context. Sin essentially means karma. Because it's that that will keep you enmeshed. Sin is that which takes you away from God. And all karma, I'm not talking about bad karma here, all karma, good, bad, is just of this world. Even good karma will continue to keep us involved in this world. Fortunately, good karma first helps us get closer to the light, but it won't take us into the light. And so when Krishna is talking about here, he's saying, if you refuse to do your dharma, now our dharma just on a spiritual level is to fight this battle, but also on an outward level. What is your dharma? Are you a husband? Are you a wife? Are you a mother? Are you a father? Are you a friend? Are you a banker? Are you a lawyer? What's your dharma? What, what responsibilities have been given to you? And how much of that responsibility are you righteously fulfilling? Now, some of us are in the wrong place. I'm, I'm, I am a lawyer, but I'm not meant to be a lawyer. My dharma lies perhaps in seva, in service, and I'm not there yet. And so as long as I'm not there yet, I incur sin as I continue to incur karma. And when I get into my dharma, even outwardly, that begins the process of the neutralization of karma. And that is what we are looking for. And this is what Krishna talks about here. He then goes on to say, Other warriors will assume that you have avoided fighting out of fear. Those who have thought highly of you before will come to regard you slightingly. Your foes will speak your name with contempt and with ridicule. 
could anything be more painful? <laughs> now, of course, on the surface, this seems like Krishna is talking about Arjuna's pride as a warrior. Like, you know, people will talk badly about you and don't you care about what people will say about you? And maybe on a surface level, that's true. Maybe on the, on the surface of the lemon, you could do something with that. But again, what Krishna is really talking about, because he's talking about other warriors. Now, we know these warriors are inside us. We know these tendencies are what we are battling against. And Yogananda says, if you turn away, if you run away from any one of your tendencies out of fear, if you run away from any karma out of fear, it only grows stronger. And the next time you have to face it, it'll be more powerful than before. So Krishna is essentially saying, Arjuna, it's now or later on these guys will have even more power over you they'll not even care about you they'll they'll treat you with resentment and pitifulness and say ye kon hai? so the idea here is face this karma now face your dharma now face any not just this battle again face your dharma what you must do even if it's a little hard even if on the rational level you feel you know it would be so much better if i didn't have to go it would be so much easier if i could just circumvent this but then that thing that you avoided that tendency that you looked away from that dharma you didn't fulfill they will get stronger the next time and it will only get harder for us so this is really a call to action act now swamiji wrote a beautiful book which he called do it now and this is really what krishna is saying now is the moment now that you're aware of their presence fight them act on them do something otherwise if you turn away now it's going to be harder the next time if you are killed in battle you will attain heaven he says the same again if you win this war, you will obtain earthly glory, which means if in this time I'm actually able to overcome all my tendencies, I will live in perfect self-control, in perfect glory of my body and my mind, of this physical reality too. I will have perfect, um, what's the word? I don't want to say control, but uh, the reign of this kingdom will be perfect, this physical kingdom. Self-mastery is the word. Thank you. Arise, therefore, O son of Kunti, determined to fight be even minded in the face of pleasure and pain gain or loss victory or defeat in this way you will incur no sin so now he's talking about how to take on our dharma because even doing our dharma with great oh this is my dharma and ah or oh this is my dharma okay fine i'll do it no problem just because i don't want more karma you know it can't be either or it can't be that i'm so excited about this it's not that i'm looking for the pleasure and it's not like i'm looking to avoid the pain dharma also must be done or any activity can become dharmic in the sense that it can help overcome karma if it is done even-mindedly. He'll continue on, so I don't want to talk about even-mindedness yet, but that's the first kind of uh, place where he starts to introduce this concept to us. How to act in everything that we do. Even-mindedness will incur no sin. No karma is created if you're perfectly even-minded, and we'll see why. I have thus explained to you the ultimate wisdom of Shankhya. Now hear the wisdom of Yoga, equipped with which, O Arjuna, 
you will break the shackles of karma. How beautiful. I have thus explained to you the ultimate wisdom of Shankhya. Again, this is another little moment for us to realize Krishna is not trying to tell Arjuna why he has to kill people. You see, he's saying, I have now explained to you the ultimate wisdom of Shankhya. Now, what is Shankhya philosophy? In India, in the Hindu tradition, more appropriately in Sanatan Dharma, there are three main philosophies. There are several, in fact, but three major ones, which are Shankhya, Yoga and Vedanta. Now, Shankhya is the why. Why must I fight this battle? Why does this world not fully work? Why do I suffer? Why am I not happy? So, so far Krishna is explaining to you the why. Why do you need to engage in this battle? Why is it important that you take this stand now and begin this process of defeating these tendencies? So the why Krishna has established for us so far. Shankhya. Yoga is the how. How am I going to defeat them? How am I going to find happiness? How am I going to overcome sorrow? So after knowing the why, because it's very hard to engage in any activity if we haven't understood the purpose, the why behind it. It's important for us, again, in any activity. That is why the Gita is so beautiful because I can take it at any layer. Okay, as a husband, why do I need to act as a certain way as a husband? Then, how do I act as a husband? So here we're of course going into the deeper realities. Why am I trying to overcome Maya? And now Krishna says, let me tell you how. Now hear the wisdom of yoga equipped with which you will break the shackles of karma. Let's also just talk about Vedanta since we introduced the three. Vedanta is the ant of the Vedas, the end of wisdom. So the why was Shankhya, the how is yoga and the what will you experience is Vedanta. Vedanta tells us the final nature of Brahman that we will experience after we have perfected yoga. Now normally people say, oh I am a student of Shankhya philosophy, oh I am a student of Vedanta, oh I practice yoga and they think of these three things as separate. As if, you know, just by knowing the why, it's done. Or just by knowing the nature of Brahman, it's done. But yoga is what unites Shankhya to Vedanta. Yoga is the practical reality which we must embark upon to finally get from understanding to experience. And so now Krishna wants to introduce that to Arjuna. He wants to introduce that to us, to the devotee who is in this particular state of confusion. In this path of yoga, there is no danger of unfinished business, nor are there latent within the opposite cancelling effects of duality. I love this. In this path of yoga, there is no danger of unfinished business. Again, once you embark upon yoga, this is complete neutralization of karma. No karma, no unfinished cycles will be created. Once you are firmly step onto the path of yoga, this is what begins. Now, of course, he's talking about true yoga, not 
I stepped on this path because you know I really want to be more successful and I'm now practicing meditation because you know I want to be uh, make better decisions at work and all those things some other people what are they looking for I want spiritual powers you know I want to have more intuition so if you're looking for those things and in fact Krishna goes on to tell us a little bit more about them then of course karma continues as long as you want things of this world not that the world's angry at you this is not wrong nothing's going to happen to you but as long as you want things of the world you have to deal with the laws of creation that's common sense this is not punishment you see good things will come do wonderful things come too i mean how much joy is there to experience in this world alone how much beauty there is to experience in this world alone except this is the thing nor are they latent within it the opposite and cancelling effects of duality as long as we are seeking the things of this world duality is always going to be a reality only in true yoga these opposite and cancelling effects of duality don't exist now let's look at duality i want power you know i'm seeking power outwardly i'm seeking power of position i'm seeking power over other people as a leader and so what happens look at uh, let's take an example of stalin he, he he sought power with such vehemence at the end of his life it practically drove him mad because he was so paranoid that everybody was out to get him everyone was going to you know take his power away and he started executing some of his most loyalist closest friends just out of that paranoia so yeah he sought power and in the beginning it gave him the the sense of wow but at the end the duality of that that seeking was this downward spiral into a paranoia of madness let's look at money as swami kriyananda would tell us about how would hughes at the time he was one of the wealthiest men in the world and just before he passed away an, a reporter and interviewer was asking him some questions doing an article on him and he says well after you've achieved so much money so much fame you've done so much are you happy and there was a long pause it was a telephonic interview and there was a long pause and how would use the way swami would imitate his voice as nah i can't say that i'm happy so you see okay i'm going to achieve this lot of money but again what drive comes in when we have lot of money fear of losing that money so no matter what you seek outwardly how however much excellence we aim for there will always be an accompanying sense of duality again just the laws of creation creation cannot exist without duality and so the path of yoga is going beyond this duality what is yoga yoga means union what union are we seeking we're seeking the union in this particular case especially is of the energies in the ida and the pingala this upward and downward flow of energy this is the reactive process within us this is duality within us this one flow that goes up and this other flow that goes down and they're constantly moving constantly balancing one another out and arjuna right now is in the shushumna so these are the two armies on either side and so we're not just looking to be with the pandavas we're going to use the pandavas first to gain enough momentum of the upward flow of energy but then even that has to be transcended in the shushumna 
where there is no duality, where both Ida and Pingala, both those energies neutralize themselves and become one united flow, where there is no good or bad, as Krishna says, no pleasure, no pain, no victory, no defeat, only bliss. <laughs> That's what we would really, really like. And then Krishna says, and these are very beautiful, very powerful words, even a little practice of this inward religion will free one from dire fears and colossal sufferings. These are the words Babaji said to Lahiri Mahashaya when he initiated him into Kriya Yoga. And he then said to all whom you initiate into Kriya, and this is a tradition that we practice given to us from our Guru Yogananda, is say these words to every initiate. Swalpamapasya dharmasya trayate mahatobhayat. Even a little practice of this inward religion will free you from dire fears and colossal sufferings. So what he's also saying is, even a little bit, just a little energy you put, anything you do towards the achievement, attainment of yoga, of union, is going to greatly benefit you. Don't even think, am I going to get to that bliss at the end or will I be free in this lifetime? I mean, those are wonderful goals to keep and it's always helpful to have a goal to achieve. But know that it's in the practice that's already the benefits, the joy, the cleansing, the neutralization of all karmic eddies and whirlpools and vrittis that have bound us from lifetime after lifetime, they will already begin to loosen. Through this practice of yoga, you will, sh you will break the shackles of karma, Krishna says. In this yoga, there is only one direction, and that's of the Shushumna, upward, with no polar opposite. The reasonings of the undecided mind caught up as it is in duality are endlessly variegated and ramified. So as long as we stay in the mind, and this is where Arjuna is right now. Fight, don't fight, good or bad, is this right, is this wrong, he's my friend, he's not my friend, first he was my friend. Papa, pum, 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 pum. All these reasonings, and of course we're looking for the intuition of Krishna, and this is what the Gita is representing for us, that intuition. But once you get into the a inner practice of yoga, that flow of energy becomes one directional and everything starts to fit into its right context. O Arjuna, fixity in the state of Samadhi cannot be theirs who cling to personal power and sense pleasures. So again, Krishna is really saying, even in this practice of yoga, there are pitfalls there are people, and um, I think we should all count ourselves in that list, who, if I were to think, you know, if I had all the powers of the universe, if I had the entire universe within me, what would I do with that? <laughs> and my immediate thing would be, you know, it would be good to, yeah, I would, I'd build a nice temple, I'll do this, I'll, I'll transport myself whenever I want to whichever place I want, I'll use my powers to help people indeed, but... I would like them to know that I have helped them. There's always the egoic, because right now, in this particular state of our consciousness, God cannot even give himself to us, because what would we do with him? We do petty little things, fulfill our own desires. And so, if you are seeking personal power and sense pleasures, even through the practice of yoga, know that the fixity of the state of samadhi will not be yours. Those whose discrimination is blunted by the specious 
promises of teachers who ignorant themselves promise heaven as man's highest reward imagine that nothing higher exists again if you're looking for this idea now heaven here he's talking about this idea where we think if i get you know what i'm looking for in life if i even get the yoga practice down i'm going to at the end of this life end up in a place where there's just going to be beauty, where all my pleasures will be fulfilled, where all my desires will be fulfilled, where I will live eternally, where I won't age, where I look perfect, where I'll experience only good things. Even if you think that's what you want, even that's just not high. I love this word over here uh, where Krishna says, blunted by specious promises of teachers who ignorant themselves promise man's highest reward is heaven. I had to look that word up, specious. I, I don't know if that's what Krishna meant, but this is certainly what Yogananda and Swamiji are giving us. But specious means superficially plausible, but in actuality false. So in the, on the surface, it seems like, well, that's a good thing. You know, that's a nice thing. And that's even potentially true. But then if you dig deeper, it's only a lower truth it's not the highest truth and if you're seeking any lower truth then that state the ultimate state of yoga will never be yours vedic rituals lead not to oneness with god nor do promises of superior pleasures in the astral world all these lead rather to repeated earthly rebirths now, of course, when he's talking about Vedic rituals here, Krishna is not specifically in the context he's talking about the rituals prescribed in the Vedas, but he's talking about outward observances that we have. Our pujas, our worship, our prayers, our, you know, he's not putting them down in any way, first and foremost. But what he is saying, the yagyas and these fire ceremonies, he's saying in themselves, they will not lead you to the highest. They are, as we said, they're still of this world. They'll help you attain good karma. They'll help you be in readiness, perhaps, to then standing on that foundation to reach higher. But in of itself, it can only take you so far. These outward uh, observances, whatever they may be. Those who are incapable of discriminating between right and wrong, Seek, seeking personal power and sense pleasures, <laughs> again and again he's reiterating this for us, by the practice of Vedic rituals, deepen their ego attachment. So again, it's not, you're not freeing yourself from the ego. You in fact, you see, what, do, what is it that we're looking for through these things? I do a yagya so that my house is blessed and Lakshmi will come. You know, it's just, oh, it's, it's beautiful that I'm remembering God while I do it. It's wonderful. But what is my intention? I do a prayer, please give me that promotion, please fix my relationship, please. Yes, I'm communicating with God, but for what? Only to increase my own ego attachment because I deserve to be happy in this world. So I need the perfect relationship. I need the perfect job. I need my house to be blessed. I need healing. I need whatever it is. And so I don't have to do the effort. There's, <laughs> there's always that part. I think... Uh, unanimously the human condition is how can I get away with the least amount of effort again guilty as charged each one of us but Krishna is asking us to aspire for something higher here they cannot achieve 
inner equilibrium that comes through meditation. And they miss the one true goal of life, which is union with God. So he's saying that inner ritual of meditation, that inner practice of yoga, and as Babaji said, that inner religion that we will experience inside us. This is where Arjuna is right now. He's in the Shushumna. He's experiencing that. He's moved away from both the armies and he's found himself in the inner sanctum sanctorum of his being where he is now receiving this wisdom. He's receiving intuitive perception, not knowledge, not information. The Vedas teach that the universe is a mixture of the three basic qualities or the gunas. Your duty, Arjuna, is to free yourself from all three, as well as from the dualities of nature. Now, Krishna goes on at length later on in the Gita, where he really talks about the gunas. So I don't want to really dive into it, but we know what the gunas are. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. Sattva, spiritually elevating. Tamas, the darkening, downward pulling. And Rajas is the activating the engaging guna in a sense because he talks about the three gunas and the duality of nature in a sense sattva and tamas represent the duality and rajas is really the energy and this energy this activating nature within us can go either way it is drawn either to tamas or to sattva in fact rajas itself is divided into rajo sattva and rajo tamas and so this is the life force that we have within ourselves. And Krishna is talking about neutralizing both sattva and tamas, not just, Ki, let's just go only for sattva. And again, this is important for us to realize that we can't get to where we want until we first get to sattva. But even sattva is not the goal. Here he says, free yourself from all three. In this chant, there is Triguna Rahitam, beyond the three gunas, the state of Turiya, which comes after Sattva, beyond Sattva, where neither of these three add mixtures of our own nature. We're all made up of all three. We all express, just like the caste system, all three at different moments. And it depends eventually on how close we can get to Sattva from where then we can ascend beyond. And as I said, Krishna will talk about this much more in uh, future chapters. The way to this achievement is to remain ever calm in the self, free from any thought of either acceptance or pose possession. Again, Krishna comes back to that state of even-mindedness, that calmness that we have to find in our meditation. And this calmness is what? It is, it is calmness in fact is the state of yoga. Why? Calmness is when all the ripples, all waves cease. And what are waves? Waves represent duality. For every rise, there is a trough. And so as long as there are waves, either seeking pleasure or experiencing pain, whether good, whether bad, as long as there are waves, it becomes very hard for us to get into that process. So even as you enter your meditation, even as you take on any activity, first experience that stillness and that calmness where the waves are as close to neutralized as possible. And then and only then 
will that true state of yoga come? Calmness is the active state of yoga you and I can experience here and now, in every moment, in every activity. So let's end over here, just because it'll be nice and helpful for Narayani to take all the concepts that we've talked about and just summarize them a little bit. In fact, those of you who don't want to listen to these long-winded uh, talks can just get to the last, you know, five, seven minutes of Narayani's where you just get the, you get the essence, you get to the seed of what we've talked about. So let's hear a little bit about that now. Narayani, you have any thoughts? Got three points that okay. I thought were very useful to keep in mind Absolutely. it's amazing how much knowledge information inspiration comes from the scriptures and it's good to have pauses in between where we can digest and assimilate at the cellular level because such a deep information it needs to be integrated uh, more deeply in fact if there are you know two three four points that really uh, struck you we should meditate on them and try to deepen our understanding and realize those mm, concepts within us so they don't become just intellectual nice sounding words so from what you were speaking today, I really like um, the concept of the path and the good karma. All of us have very good karma to come onto the spiritual path, but perhaps not good enough karma to stick to it until the end. And that's where we need to be very cautious and make sure that we keep investing seeds of good karma into our spiritual bank account. Because in moments of need, where when our good karma runs out, at least we'll have uh, somewhere from <laughs> some, savings. Some, yeah, some savings from where to take and make use of it because the truth is we are right now spiritually from where we left it in our previous lifetime this is just a continuation from where exactly exactly we left it so it's going to be important for us right now at this stage of your life. I don't care if you are in your 80s, it doesn't matter. You have still time to keep increasing your good karma by introducing meditation in your daily life, by performing your activities with a little bit more detachment, by bringing more generosity in your daily life, by loving more, by becoming more calm, by developing more compassion and patience on all those things that we want to develop because all those things that we will keep developing within us will bring in with us in the next lifetime. Perhaps this is your last life, who knows? Maybe you are very advanced. I know I have many lifetimes ahead of me. So it's good for me to keep 
um, the understanding of the spiritual path that is not just for this lifetime, it's a long term. And the more I'm aware that everything I do matters and it gets registered vibrationally in my DNA, in my soul, in my footprint, that's what I'm going to bring with you in my next life and pick it up from there. So this is, I think, something important for us. Everything counts and what we do right now, we are spiritually investing in our bank account. The other thing that you spoke about was about our Dharma and how we go about it. Perhaps, again, you are a mother or you are a doctor or you are a banker or whatever you are. Make sure that you do perform your duties the best in the best way you can. So you embrace it fully. If you need to spend three hours with your children because you know that's what is being asked of you, the more you do it joyfully without resisting that situation, the more you will overcome and you will perceive your dharma as something that has been imposed to you or even as a bad karma. Sometimes the problem is we don't know how to fully work with our dharma and to face that karma. Someone once asked Swami Kriyananda, Swamiji, how do I know if I have overcome a fear, if I have overcome that specific karma? And he replied, when you don't fear it anymore. So what happens sometimes is that we are afraid to give ourselves fully to whatever is being asked of us. And sometimes it's being asked to spend three hours listening to your wife or two hours playing with your kids or doing these things for your in-laws, whatever, or spend a few more hours at work and then finish that Dharma so joyfully and so detached as Shurja was talking today about remain in that state of even-minded and cheerful. Okay, I did it. I know I did my best. Then just by performing an action with that attitude, you are freeing yourself from the very thought that that was a bad thing for me. You know, so it's important for us to start perceiving our dharma as an opportunity for further growth. And I'm going to end here with the most, I think, important thing of every scripture. True scriptures will always uh, encourage us and will always ask of us to go within to experience things within ourselves, to go to the Shushumna, to go to where Krishna lives at the point between the eyebrows. Meditation, Kriya Yoga, any technique that will really help you to experience that deep, silent, calm state 
that's really something that we need to implement in our lives. So if I were you, uh, please, please start uh, to meditate even a little bit, you know, twice a day, once a day, but start, get to know yourself and get to understand from within where Krishna wants to take you. He wants to show you, he wants to take you to the real place, to your final destination. And we need to allow him to take us there. And meditation is a pilgrimage, is a journey from our lower chakras to the upper ones, more especially to the point between the eyebrows. So I think that's Thank what I Thank you very much, I everyone. Really Have a fabulous evening. Um, and just stay with Krishna for as long as you can inwardly. God bless you all.